good to see you. Merry Christmas to you. The Lord be with you. Ah, several of you know that. The Lord be with you is a salutation and blessing that has been spoken in the church for centuries. It's usually followed with and also with you. Well, that would be nice to just take a moment and just take a moment and turn to a neighbor, um, maybe somebody that you came with, and just say, the Lord be with you. And if somebody says that to you, respond and also with you. You take a moment and do that. I met a young woman named Sherry several years ago. And most of you, if you've been here for a while, know that if I share a story about somebody, either I have their permission to share their story or the name and circumstances have been changed enough that there's no way that you could possibly know them. They're certainly not a part of our community here. But Sherry came into my office, and she was very distraught. She was telling me a story, and she, would, she said that up until two weeks before that time, she would have said that she had the best marriage um, that she knew of, that they were as happy as could be. They'd been married almost 20 years, had three children, were active in their church, and she would have said that life was grand. And she was putting some clothes away in the closet one morning, and she just happened to kind of bump up against uh, a coat jacket of her husband's and noticed there was something heavy in the pocket. She just reached in and looked at it, and it was a cell phone that she had never seen before. And over the next several moments, uh, to her horror, uh, she began to read text after text, email after email, picture after picture of communication between her husband and one of her best friends. Over the last year, they talked about their affections for each other and how they had uh, felt like that they had found something wonderful in each other. They talked about their future together. And she had a hard time getting through the story. Now, she had just a little glimmer of hope because she said that when she confronted him that he apologized, he knew that what he had been doing was wrong, it actually felt better to, that it was out in the open and that he was really sorry. Matter of fact, he said that he would be willing to come the next week and really work on how do they restore their relationship. So I went out in the lobby the next week and saw her. She was, however, alone. Uh, began the conversation again. She said within a couple of days after the time that, that we had met, he came to her and said, you know, I just, I have found the love of my life. I can't do this anymore. Um, and I'm going to go be with this, with this new woman. And we have already picked out a house. I'll be moving out within the week. You can have custody of the children. I want to see them, but you've been a great mom, and so you can have custody. 18 years of marriage, three kids under the age of 13. She was, by that time, hardly able to even say the words out loud, but what she said over and over again is, where is God? Where is God in all of this? I've been trying to live right. Where is he? Over the last 30 years of pastoral care and counseling, one of the things that I hear oftentimes from people that are going through difficulties, whether they've lost a job, whether they've gone through financial difficulties and had to file bankruptcy, or they raised a child, and this child has grown up, and this child has gone sideways, 
somebody's gotten sick in the family, whatever those difficulties are, the common thing that I hear over and over again is, where is God? Where is he in the midst of these circumstances? So Advent is looking for the appearance of God. Where is he? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by these words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Now, can you imagine this encounter? A young woman, probably about the age of 15. Can you imagine her going now to her fiancé? I need to tell you what happened last night. Um, you know, an angel came to me in the night and told me that I was going to be pregnant and have a baby. That was hard enough. And oh, by the way, he's going to be the son of God. I mean, can you imagine that conversation? At best, she would have thought, I'm, I'm going to just get put away um, out, of, out of shame. At, at worst, I'm going to be stoned here. The um, story goes on in verse 35. You, can, you can't imagine a more difficult circumstance for a young woman at the time. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is said to be barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Now, you know the rest of the story with Mary was not exactly the easiest of circumstances. Yes, she became pregnant. Um, um, yes, she was, she was held on to by Joseph. Um, you remember the donkey ride, the picture of the donkey ride? Any of you women that have been pregnant? Donkey ride while you're pregnant. Um, going to Bethlehem. This is the son of God, right, that I'm supposed to have. It's not even room in the inn, so we don't even have a proper place to have this baby. So they find a place, a carved-out place in the side of a hill, a cave is what is thought. Here I'm going to have the Son of God. This baby is born, and you know the story, you know the difficulties that they went through and the challenges, and yet he grew up, and by age of 12, she was amazed. You can imagine the mother proud of this boy probably one of the wisest people that she had known at that time. She continued to watch him grow, and he starts into his ministry, and she again was proud of what was happening, and she began to understand more and more that maybe what the angel said, maybe this is true. And yet, Jesus' own siblings, her own family, at times thought he was crazy. He's lost his mind. Why didn't he just go away from us? He's embarrassing us. She follows him all the way to the cross, 
can imagine. This, what's been told to me, this is the Son of God. This is the way it's going to end. One of the most difficult deaths um, possible. You can imagine Mary's journey. Not an easy life. The most amazing, amazing thing to me about Mary is that she held on to this belief that she trusted in these words. In the midst of personal peril, in the, in the midst of uh, a culture that she knew he was being born into that was oppressed by the Romans, how is this going to work out? But Mary believed these words, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. For nothing is impossible with God. And not only did she trust those words for herself, she somehow carried the trust and longing of generations of God's people uh, with her. I want to suggest to you today that these words are not just for Mary, that these words are also for each of us. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Nothing is impossible with God. I also want to suggest that we have been invited into the Christmas story to experience and walk out the Christmas story in ways that maybe we've never fully understand. I believe to rightly understand the Christmas story, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. You have to go back to the garden. This paradise, this man and woman designed in the image of God in perfect harmony with God, walking in the cool of the day with him. Every need that they had met, they had a purpose, something to do with their life. And yet... There was a vulnerability in them to be able to listen to a voice that said, you can have more. That this life of dependency on God, you don't, you don't have to do that. You actually can be like him. You can be more in charge of your, of your death. If you'll just eat of the fruit of this tree, you will be like him. Don't we struggle with that today? I want to be more in charge of me. <laughs> I want to be more in charge of my life. If you have control issues, and I think all of us have control issues of some kind, uh, we can trace those uh, back to the garden. We can all say that we got our control issues honestly. Um, but soon in the sacred test, text, we see what happens when man has this kind of thinking. Wasn't very long before that rebellion of Adam and Eve, they were cast out of the garden. In chapter three of Genesis, by chapter four, there was the first murder. By chapter six, there was rampant violence in the world. We see this world going astray, men and women left up to their own devices and running amok. This is the beginning, in my opinion, of the Christmas story. This is where it began. It has been in the heart of God from the beginning of time to rescue his people. Every time we rebel, every time we pull away, it has been in his heart to rescue us. And that is still his plan. And the amazing thing is that he wants to use us, that he wants to use us to help put the world back in order, that, that he is choosing us, broken, limited, those of uh, humans that want to go off on their own way, want to do things their way, he has chosen us to participate in this. I fear, however, that many today have what I would call learned helplessness. We get this from studying depression. People that are depressed, going through discouragement, they, they try all kinds of different things to feel better, and they keep trying and keep trying, but eventually they come to a place where it doesn't work. And they learn that they're helpless to change their circumstances. 
I think we have a world, there's a lot of believers, people of faith in the world that have learned that they're helpless to change the world. They see the news uh, reels. They see the, 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 the tragedies that are going on around the world and all the difficulties. And, and thanks to all of our news outlets, 24-hour news, we can see all the bad things that are happening in the world. And then we, so we see the rioting in Ferguson and New York and other places, what's going on in Ukraine, the Ebola um, outbreak. We see these masked men in the Middle East chopping the heads off of people. And many are thinking, it's just, it's too bad. It's too difficult. We can't do anything to, get, to, to change this. And so the whole idea of the Christmas story has all filtered down into this simple idea that it's all about my personal salvation. Thank you, Lord, for coming. Thank you for coming into the world and saving me. And now I get a hold of that. And my thinking now is, please, God, come again. And take us out of this mess. Get us out of here so that I can experience the bliss of heaven with you. Now, certainly our personal salvation is important. But it has never been the scope, the full scope of God's calling in the world. God's rescue plan started with a man named Abram. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and says, The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this began now, this God that was speaking to, to Abram was a different voice than people um, thought about when they thought about the gods at the time. The gods at the time were very fickle. The, the gods were such that you had to do all kinds of things to try to please them. And if you pleased them today, then they would just change their mind tomorrow and they would want something different from you um, tomorrow. This God is different. This Yahweh is with his people because they are his, not because of what they have done. It's like my children. My children did not have to earn my name. They have my name because they are mine. This is a different kind of God than what people understood at the time. Several years ago, I was meeting with a young woman. Her name was Angela, and she and her husband were sitting in my office, and she was desperate. She was in she was in tears. She was discouraged. He was really concerned about what was going on with her. They had been trying for some time to have children. She'd been unable to. She had just longed for a family. And she told me, she began to unpack her story a little bit, began to tell me that she had gotten married right out of high school, um, just kind of randomly too quick, out of emotion. It only lasted a few months, and she got divorced. And she was the only one that had ever gotten divorced in her family, and she felt ashamed. And because of that shame, she had always held back. She was a highly gifted young woman, but she always held back. Um, she never really stepped out. She didn't really fully believe that she could ever um, be used by God. She really believed that one of the reasons that she didn't have a family was because of, of her failure, of her sin. 
she said, Brian, I, I, I think God will probably, I believe I'll squeeze into heaven, but I don't believe I'll ever live an A-class life. I'm never really going to thrive. I just have to recognize I'm going to live kind of a C-plus life. I'm going to kind of just kind of limp along. And this was pretty deeply seated in her thinking. And so we began to talk about a God that was a different kind of God than what she thought, a God that was with her, not because of what she had done or what she had, uh, not, not because of her failures or the good things that she had done, but he was with her and committed to her because she was his. She began to believe things like, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely than now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. Today, I want to tell you, she is thriving. Uh, instead of on her back foot, she has opened her life up. Her gifts are being used in amazing ways. She and her husband begin to foster children and eventually adopted a couple of children. She has a, a full life, a full family because she was able to believe that the Lord was with her regardless of her circumstances. As the Lord is with Angela, so the Lord is with you. Now, with Abraham, this whole story began, this whole rescue, idea of rescue began, this vision for a new world, a new people, new harmony uh, uh, in the world. However, as you read the Old Testament, it doesn't sound all exactly harmonious, doesn't it? doesn't sound real peaceful along the way. We see story after story. We see difficulties of these men that were, that were responsible to carry out this rescue um, of, of the world. We see these very men who were uh, to rescue the shipwrecked, shipwrecking their own lives and needing to be rescued themselves. And so the amazing thing to me is that God just kept hanging in with us, that he didn't just give up on us, that he stayed faithful. So we see these stories over and over in the Old Testament, this common theme of man falling away and God restoring him, man going into slavery and coming out of slavery and going into exile and coming out of exile. We see this over and over. Humankind was given this incredible gift, this incredible um, life in God, but didn't know what to do with it, just kept fumbling it. So the story continues with men like Joseph. Now, many of you know, most of you know the story of Joseph. Um, now, I've dealt with a lot of family um, unhealthy families and family trauma in the, over the years, but this one kind of takes the cake. Um, this guy gets sold into slavery uh, by his family. Most of you will probably not experience that at Christmas, um, but he was sold into slavery, thrown in a pit. His brothers told his dad that he had been killed by wild animals and was sold. You know the story of Joseph. Amazing story. Uh, from Potiphar's house to prison to he believed that God was different than this, that this didn't represent the God that he knew. He believed that God was with him, even in the midst of these incredibly difficult circumstances. Because of his faithfulness, you know the story, he rose up to where he was the second 
position in the, um, in the kingdom at the time. And it was because he believed God. I met Jeremy a few years ago. Jeremy came to me when, when he was 17. Actually, his parents brought him to me. He had just shared with his parents that he was struggling with his sexual identity. His parents were freaking out. Um, they came to me and basically dumped him in my office and said, fix him. Um, change him. This is not the way we raised him. And he began to tell me the story that the words that were used by he, um, the church leaders uh, in his church and his parents, they were using this phrase that this is an abomination to God. And the way that, that they were using this phrase, he believed that they were saying he was an abomination to God. He began to cut himself. His emotional pain was so strong that, that he just began to lightly cut, cut his wrists over and over again. Something quite interesting on how that happens or why that works, but it actually helps alleviate emotional pain by, by experiencing that physical pain. And, and, and his story was difficult. It was, uh, he was confused. He didn't know what to do. And we again begin to talk about this God that he believed was different than this. He just, he was only 17, but somehow he knew that the way that God was being represented to him was not the heart of, of the true God. And ultimately, uh, through conversation after conversation, as we wrestled through this, he began to believe things like, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His journey is not easy. Um, I've been kind of working with him for a couple of years now. He's got some really difficult things to face. But he is convinced, as I am, that the most important thing that he can do is to hold on to God. For a young, now 19-year-old, he has one of the most committed, um, connected relationships to God that I've seen. Um, he is trusting that God is going to guide his steps. Just as the Lord is with Jeremy, the Lord is also with you. Now, within a... Um, generation after Joseph's death, this favored status that his family had all began to fall apart again. You know the story. They were, people were pulled into um, slavery at the time, and God began to hear a voice of his people, a voice crying out uh, for deliverance. And so the rescue continues in the calling of Moses. Now, Moses was um, a reluctant leader. Um, Moses was um, kind of personality. Come on, Moses, you can do it. 
Um, he, he didn't want to say yes. Um, he said, I, gosh, God, not, not me. Um, go get Aaron. My brother Aaron talks better than I do. Um, and, but God spoke to him and said, I want you to be the one. He, he uh, listened to the voice of God that says, I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses was also a murderer. You remember that part of the story, right? Um, he killed a man, ran to the other part of the, um, on the other side of the desert, and lived there, it's believed, until he was about 50 years old. He was married, had a family, just thought that was the way life was going to be until God began, came and spoke to him, you know, the whole burning bush thing, began to say, I want you to be the one that delivers my people that goes and rescues my people. Now, you know the, the struggle that Moses had in that, the confusion, the question. But eventually he um, s- stepped out and was an amazing leader, even though he didn't want to do this. I met a, I met a man named Mitch. Uh, uh, he was early 40s. Everybody loved this guy. He was, he was the top of the charts. He was successful in the culture. He was the uh, highest level in the medical field. He... Um, making a lot of money. People thought that he had hung the moon. He was a party guy. People at the country club loved him. As a matter of fact, uh, most, of, most of the guys at the country club every weekend, uh, what they talked about was, I wonder what exotic sports car Mitch will show up with today. He was just one of those guys. And yet Mitch started uh, little by little drinking too much. Now, he, he was a surgeon, <laughs> so this wasn't good. It was going to cause problems. It also caused him to get in some compromising situations, and, and he was married with a family, and he fell on a couple of different occasions and, um, with, with women. His wife finds out, and Mitch had made a mess of things. But his wife found out and confronted him, and I've not, I'm not sure that I've ever seen the Holy Spirit's conviction harder and more immediate in a person's life than with Mitch. Unlike the guy I was telling you in the earlier story, he didn't question it for a second. He was absolutely convicted. He knew what he was doing was wrong, was wrong on many levels. He was a very proud guy. Um, but, but he was immediately humbled, and he absolutely committed his life to make changes. He... He confessed, he repented, he changed his mind, and he worked hard. Now, because of some of the stuff that he had done, he had made a mess of things. It was so hard for uh, his wife to really heal and recover and for their marriage to recover, but he worked at it and worked at it, and they began to thrive. I was actually surprised at how strong they became. And I began to see this leadership in Mitch. I began to see something in him and begin to speak to that after a couple of years of recovery. And he began to, to live his life totally different. And, and I, be, I began to see this, this thing in him, but he couldn't yet see it. Um, he basically said, Brent, I, I know that God loves me and he's forgiven me, but at best he's still pretty embarrassed by me. He is not going to want to use me. Eventually, though, he began to believe things like, therefore, since we are justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. He went through a lot, and he, he began to understand why God allows pain in our life. He began to say, I know that because of the pain that I caused, that's been a healthy reminder of me for staying on course. We'll boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Today, Mitch is at the top of of his field. He is soaring, but his priorities have completely flipped. He's living a life that that people are not just waiting for him to show up at the country club to have, to have a party, but they are watching his life and they are seeing decisions and men are following him. Now, he doesn't have this big platform, um, not gone out and started a ministry, but he's living his life in a way that, that men are wanting to say, I want to live like you. Just as the Lord is with Mitch, so is the Lord with you. Finally, through Moses and then ultimately Joshua, uh, the children of Israel um, were taken into the promised land, and this, this is it, right? This is the ultimate, and they begin to experience this promised land. But again, it wasn't very long before the other tribes begin to rise up and come against them, and the people begin to cry for a leader. We want a king. You know the story? God said, this isn't a good idea. Just, just follow me. We want a king. This isn't a good idea, but, they, but after they kept asking, he finally gave in, and he, he gave them Saul to start out with. Start, Saul started off pretty good, but kind of went south pretty fast. And then um, we see the call of David, and David comes on the scene, and David, you know the story of David and Goliath. Um, as David was going out to meet Goliath, he said he was... Um, God spoke these words to him. The next one. Um, Go and the Lord be with you. Um, got a little backwards on that. The, uh, Danny is my David up against Goliath. Danny came to me. Um, he's 22 years old. He was the... Um, kind of the victim of, uh, was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. And Danny was, he was enjoyed to meet with. Wonderful personality, strong, strapping kid of 22 when I met him. And uh, it's actually very bright, but because of his birth defect, he just couldn't read real well and couldn't do math. And so he was pretty destined to low-paying jobs, might end up living with his family most of his life, a little socially awkward. Uh, but I really enjoyed meeting with him. And, but because he was, didn't really know how to interact socially, he a uh, really handsome guy, but yet he began to struggle with, with um, things he was seeing on television. He was caught stealing some videos and some magazines from a store with, with uh, explicit stuff in them. And he just didn't know what to do with this. And and uh, he will tell you that getting caught was the best thing that ever happened to him. And, and uh, Danny was a scrapper. He was a hard worker. He was willing to do everything that I asked him to do. Uh, he got in Celebrate Recovery, a recovery program, and worked hard at that. And, and um, 
Um, D- Danny began to, because of kind of his healing that began to happen, begin to epitomize to me words like um, Paul's words, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Danny's doing great today. He's, he's thriving. He's got healthy relationships and he's in a strong place. And just as, as the Lord is with Danny, the Lord is also with you. Now, we could talk about David and talk about it, David as king, talking about him going into um, um, exile, coming out of that. His kingdom splits. Uh, the Babylonians pull them into, into exile, and they're free to go back into Jerusalem. Um, but we see this from the first exile, the first rebellion of Adam and Eve, all the way through these stories of multiple exiles and restoration. We see this longing in the heart of humankind for a homecoming. And then we begin to hear this prophetic, prophetic voice through men like Daniel and Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus that there's going to be someone born that is going to come into the world and to begin to put things back in order. So this Christmas story unfolds more and more. Israel unable to carry out the task of being the lifeboat uh, to rescue uh, humankind and put the world back in right order, now watches as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, comes now born as a baby. He will lead a life of a servant, and he did what Israel could not do. He brought heaven and earth together. No wonder we're fascinated with rescue stories. Do you like them? I love them. <laughs> These are my favorite movies. Uh, matter of fact, every good story that's ever been written um, is based on this big story of what God has done with his people. But I like these movies. I like movies like Argo and um, Black Hawk Down, some of the diehard movies. My personal favorite is Taken. Um, <laughs> a dad goes and rescues his daughter. Um, Toy Story 2 is a rescue story, okay? I mean, <laughs> these are beautiful things. There's something... Um, in this idea of rescue that touches us all. This rescue culminated, as we read earlier, starting with Luke one twenty six. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There's a reason that we've not lit this final candle yet. This will be lit on Christmas Eve. This is the Christ candle because this is the essence of this story. Now, you might say, okay, I get this idea that God is with Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David, but these are like really famous people. I mean, their names are in the Bible. Uh, Why would I believe that he is with me? Because of the words of Jesus, he spoke to his disciples and therefore all of his followers throughout the generations. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Remember, God is with you simply because you are his. Um, One of the things that we recognize with the Christmas story is that when we say yes to him, when we lean into this story, that he is with us no matter what. Whether your life is sunny right now and you're having a fantastic Christmas season and you're um, enjoying life and thriving, or whether your life is, has some storm clouds gathering or, or it's foggy, or whether you feel like a tornado just ripped through your life, he is with you. He will never forsake you. The Lord is with you always. I love N.T. Wright, a theologian's writings. I wish I was even close to this smart. Um, Christianity is all about the belief that the living God, in fulfillment of his promises and as the climax of the story of Israel, has accomplished all this, the finding, the saving, the giving of new life in Jesus. He has done it. With Jesus, God's rescue operation has been put into effect once and for all. A great door has swung open in the cosmos, which can never again be shut. It's the door to the prison where we've been kept chained up. We are offered freedom, freedom to experience God's rescue for ourselves, to go through the open door and explore the new world to which we now have access. In particular, we are all invited summoned, actually, to discover through following Jesus that this new world is indeed a place of justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty, and that we are not only to enjoy it as such, but to work at bringing it to birth on earth as in heaven. In listening to Jesus, we discover whose voice it is that is echoed around the hearts and minds of the human race all along. So what do we do in closing? What do we do when we feel like that we're in exile or that we feel like that um, we're in slavery of some kind or we've fallen away? For some, it's because they're just a bit disillusioned because they have encountered Christians, (laughs) people that have represented God, and it's not been a good representation, and they like, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so they've pulled back. Some people might come to a Christmas service like this, kind of reluctant with, with a family, and I just, I'm just not sure I get this. Some might just feel sadness because of things just have not worked out in a certain area of their life. Some might feel like they're in slavery to someone or something uh, for some, it's just simply, I just, we're just struggling to pay our bills over, over the holidays here. There's a relationship um, that's gone astray. I felt betrayed. Or I just, if God is with me, then why are all these situations happening? Why do I keep experiencing difficulties? And, and some might be, yeah, just, I get this idea of, God loving and caring for me, but wanting to use me in the world. I just, I've got too much baggage for that. There's just too much that where I could ever represent him properly. I would just say to you, as the Lord is with Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David and Angela um, and Jeremy and, and Mitch and Danny, the Lord is also with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. 
The Lord is with you always. Father, we come to you today. We are amazed at this love that has been extended through the generations of, of our disobedience, of our failure, of our running off on our own, thinking that somehow we can do this ourselves. We're amazed that you have stayed faithful and true to your love for your people, that you have held on to us through the generations, that you have now come to be with us and to be near. And so we humbly come to you and bring our limited selves to you. Lord, we believe, help us in our unbelief. But we are thankful, we are trusting and holding on to the fact that you are with us, that you are with us always, that you long to give us everything that is, that is in you and everything that is for us today and for our future. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.